Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Radu Palamari, Managing Director of Elkat Global. It's my great pleasure to welcome Pierluigi Sigismondi, the president of Dole Packaging. And Pierluigi delivered a very interesting keynote presentation as part of the Makers and Movers Summit on sustainability in supply chain. I'll, I'll give a quick uh, introduction for some of you who might not know yet Pierluigi. So he's, uh, he's been working for more than 20 years the intersection of purpose-led brands and value creation for the business is a strong believer of the proactive role that companies can play against climate change, social equality, and inclusion when doing business. And as the president of Dole Worldwide Packaged Food, which is a 169-year-old brand, he's leading a profound transformation with a vision to make it an iconic nutrition and wellness company. Prior to Dol, Pierluigi was the president of Unilever for Southeast Asia and Australasia. He had several jobs in, in Unilever, including chief supply chain officer before, uh, before that. And he also worked for Nestle before Unilever. He also has served as non-executive director at, uh, of Rexel Supervisory Board, was a board member of Ben & Jerry's. And since August 2020, this year, he was also appointed as non-executive chairman of Sustainir, which is a vertical farming startup based in Singapore. So without further ado, Pierluigi, thanks for joining us and pleasure to have you. Likewise, Radu. Thank you for hosting me here. And we got a lot of questions uh, or some questions that were specifically linked after your keynote on the topic of sustainability is a big thing, is an important thing. However, in the context of COVID-19, some companies have put it a little bit or there's a perception that they've put it on the back burner just before we went live i was reading that bain puts a study that actually says that is the other way around that actually it's even more top of the mind so i guess the question is how do you see this from your perspective pierluigi is is it becoming a nice to have are companies doing even more is it the same in the context of covid19 listen uh, this is the very first story that humanity shares at the same time. If you think about it, even in World War II or in previous pandemic events, they were always limited to some regions, continents, but never with such a massive global scale that has truly affected millions and millions of people. For the first time, to my knowledge, this is the very first story that is shared by everyone in this world. And I think it provides a profound reality that needs to make us think how we do business, how we take care of ourselves, and how we drive a meaningful job that can somehow make a difference in this world. So putting the humanity tragedy aside, COVID has been a good crisis for us because it has allowed us to accelerate the pace of change to pivot into new areas, new categories that we're now entering very quickly, to take aside all the uh, nonsense that comes with PowerPoint and what I call the intellectual obesity or the PowerPoint obesity that we often face in our business, and then just get on with what really matters. Now, I'm trying to be too generic on purpose so people can take a message home, but I would say certainly it has given us the, a very crude sense of what it means to make very simple, very drastic, very quick decisions in a life that can be very short that can, and, and, a, and a crisis that can affect everyone. So, mm. yeah, I think uh, our company is doing well. We're doing 
record sales this year. We have a supply issue, not a demand issue. We could grow much more if we had more availability of uh, raw materials, but certainly we are taking advantage of this crisis. And we believe that it's far from over. I think this is gonna be an extended situation, an extended reality, no matter how optimist we are about the vaccines which are now in place or being announced, by the time this will get distributed, we're talking at least second half of 2021. In the meantime, a lot of uh, suffering and a lot of issues will happen in the economy, in society, uh, in, in, in every single angle of this war. So lots to keep working on. Absolutely. And we, we have a question, and I want to pull it up from Oliver Hurry, who's, who's praising you for your initiatives that you undertook back in the days at Unilever. And I guess the question is some a, a question that a lot of people struggle with when it comes to selling sustainability or getting the buy-in from their CPOs on sustainability. Maybe share a little bit your views on this. You can drive change by being uh, philosophical, dogmatic about why is it that there is so much waste that could be converted into nutrition or could be converted into animal feed or products that can be benefiting others. For us, that journey was fantastic because it all started in, in India when we went to visit the biggest, one of the biggest slums in Asia uh, called Darabi, where we saw the, the crude reality of many women, children, men that were having a living out of the waste that we generated as a company. Now, on one side, this is quite digni dignifying because you could say at least they're earning something. On the other side, we saw the very sad reality of children collecting and segregating waste from landfills. And we said, we, we cannot be part of this tragedy. So as a leader, you would be always tempted to preach and expect people to follow. What we did instead was to see and feel in our skin what it means to put waste on landfills and say, we, we don't want to live a life that can be much better. And, and, and throughout that exposure, we converted ourselves very quickly. Then the fun started because we said 255 factories around the world, let's see who's going to be last in still disposing waste to landfill. So there was a fun and, and quite energizing competition so everyone could participate. And we had great leadership from members of my team who put their heart into this and, and engaging with universities, management trainees, and then always being there to support others to make it happen. So leadership is not something that comes at top management levels. Leadership is expressed by anyone in the reality of their jobs. So I think I said to Oliver, it doesn't matter where you sit and to whom you report. I think you can always, when you do things with passion, you can find always the narrative and confront people with realities that uh, will allow them to convert. And, and certainly there is the heart and there is the mind. Uh, human beings make decisions emotionally, which then are justified with information or data. And I think in our case, it was exactly that. We took the decision of not having our products in landfills, and then we started calculating how much could we save by reducing waste 
how much could we actually help others? And then the numbers came in, and that's when we were unstoppable because we combined logic with uh, magic and emotions, and, and things happened in a record time. We said by 2015, and we ended up concluding a year earlier, having all the sites around the world with no, no ways to landfill. And from there, things keep growing because we said no more factories, and now let's go for warehouses, let's go for offices, R&D centers, and, and it just became a movement internally and externally as well. And that's what, I mean, if I look back, I would say out of the few things that I'm proud in my career, certainly I thank Olivier for bringing this back to my great fond memories because it was a phenomenal transformation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this question from Jonathan Pierce because this is another pushback. You know, I, I think we should address these pushbacks because it's a reality that a lot of people face, I guess, in, in, internally. So how do you convince investors that being a purpose-driven organization is not, not at the cost of profit? Uh, it's great to see Jonathan again in this event. Long time since we exchanged and we met last time. I think today sustainability or purpose can be really quantified in terms of returns and, and uh, on the investment. You know, long are the days when we had to invest ahead of returns. There are many analyses that prove that either more demand is generated by belief-driven buyers that want to buy only or mainly brands with purpose. I think on the um, supply chain side, a lot can certainly be eliminated in terms of cost if you drive a green energy and a green supply chain, I think investors more and more are talking, not walking yet, but talking about the triple bottom line, which is planet, people, and prosperity. They call it profits. And, and there are many cases that, that you can actually make. Now, at the end of the day, you need to make the analytics work because no investor will only do it out of you know, a leap of faith. But there is evidence out there, Jonathan. You can certainly make the case. Today is much easier than in the past when we started uh, 10 years ago. You only need to surround yourself with great minds that have been there before and the case will be, will be made. Mm. There is another question from, from Ole Shark Petersen that I'll pull out in terms of, I guess, transportation and, and the impact that it has. And obviously this year, well, airlines have faced a fairly significant drop. But how do you see this, this question, Pierluigi? And, and do you see more, more and more production coming to the, closer to the markets? Also to address this, so what's your thoughts? You don't start generating value in a business by thinking how to reduce transport. I think transport is, is necessary and I would say is part of doing business. And as you build scale and efficiency, you'll be centralizing more, whether it's manufacturing or distribution. So it's un unavoidable. Now, the question is how green and how smart? And uh, green because there are technologies today that allow us to transport with much higher, not lower temperatures if you have cold supply chains. My invitation is to open your eyes and engage with startups and many, you know, many companies out there that have a lot to offer to reduce your greenhouse gas emissions. I believe in global supply chains and I believe also in total greenhouse gas emission reductions, not just in transportation alone. Of course, if you move into intermodal transportation, if you have 
the Uber trucks on land transportation, there is efficiency and scale you can generate by, you know, transporting more volumes with fewer deliveries. But I think the, the big, big equation is when you start looking at your entire, your, your total, you know, footprint. And, and I think that's where you might find that there are other areas that can certainly make a much bigger difference. And that's what I, I learned in my past. Transportation and manufacturing were only 2-3% of our total CO2 emissions footprint. We realized that working with partners, i.e. suppliers, and also looking at how we actually engage with consumers made a much bigger effect, including waste, by the way, in greenhouse gas emissions than transportation alone. So short answer is plenty of technologies today available that can reduce emissions. Yes, you can redefine your distribution network to reduce cost, and that also comes with a lower emissions. But think outside the box and then accept regional global supply chains as a way to do good business. And if you do good business, you will be sustainable as well, which is what matters as well. And, and I want to ask you, Pierluigi, in terms of you know, vaccines, and obviously you need cold chains sometimes for your, you know, for your products, and the spike that will be once the vaccine does become available for distribution, there will be a lot of capacity that will go that way. Do you also foresee some challenges in terms of your supply chain with less capacity all, all of a sudden available on the market? Do you see any impact to, to Dole and to your business, or how, how do you see things moving in the next three, six? No. No, I mean, uh, if you look at BioNTech and uh, Pfizer's, I mean, they talk about minus 70, minus 80 degrees transportation or cold chains. I, I assume that that will be with like liquid nitrogen. I don't know how, how this is going to happen. Certainly far from transporting foods. Even Moderna talks about minus 10. So the supply chains are very stressed today. That certainly is the case. Not because of the vaccines, because clearly they are being still produced. Early, early deliveries are happening now, but because of the uh, immense amount of volume increase that has happened, the health concerns about labor and, and what it takes to, to hire resources, which are limited. I think every great supply chain professional will, will always have to think about building resilience in the business. And, and that's why I value this profession you know, tremendously because I learned on my scheme lately that many times you give supply chain reliability for granted, but that has to be consequence of a great strategy behind that builds three components. One is adaptability, the other one is predictability, and the last one is resilience. So it's a no thank you job, as I always said when I was myself running the supply chain, but you, you need to be predictable no surprises, something no, no one likes. Um, even though it's a book award, you can always, you know, plan for the worst and aim for the best. So at least you can manage bad news and, and be prepared for it. We need to be adaptable, which means changing quickly scenarios based on the latest fluctuations on demand, on supply, on partners not, not being always there. Right now, we're shifting a lot of our supply base from Southeast Asia into Latin America to supply North America. So that speed of change is a good AQ indicator, which is a call adaptability 
coefficient. And then the last one is obviously resilience. So you need to build contingency plans. You need to understand that cost is not the only dimension that you need to drive for value, but ensuring service, ensuring revenue generation is in my scale of value is much more important than cost alone. Because any any misdelivery is, is misgeneration of margins. And often they're much more damaging for the business short and long term than those extra basis points of transportation or manufacturing costs you might want to be saving for the sake of being more and more efficient on a per case or per ton basis. Yeah. So think always like a PL or CEO would think. And, 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 I, and I'm sure that you will be uh, highly, highly valued, more than just as a cost center, you'll be valued as a, as a value creator in the organization. And I, I want to probe a little bit, and we've gotten a few questions, and, and your profile is quite quite unique in, in a way, Pierluigi, because you made the switch. You were chief supply chain officer, then you were yeah. PL holder within Unilever. Now you're, you know, again, PL holder, you're the leader of the company. How was that for you, right? How was how was it? Uh, you know, maybe some tips and tricks in terms of adapting, if if any, and, and you know, just your story in general. Sure. Yeah, I, I think it comes with the clarity of what what makes you click. So so for me, it's all about impact and and meaning meaning of the job that I have, right? So for me, there was a point in time I started my career being uh, on the shop floor working on night shifts in an aerospace company. Today, I'm selling bananas. And I say that always with respect and love for my job. But I'll come back to this in a minute because you can make your job meaningful no matter what you do in life. And uh, it doesn't need to sound sexy to be meaningful and impactful for the world. But, but having said that, I'm an engineer by nature computer scientists. So I could not be more programmed in my brain to be repetitive, predictable, and clearly systemic. But I, I also had the curiosity to get myself involved in creative work in dealing with all parts of the business. So what I did as well as I was growing in my career was always asking myself, how will I do the job of my boss? And how can I learn from his or her mistakes? or the, the good things that they do. So as a, as a supply chain person, you have the amazing advantage, like also finance person has, to get yourself involved in many aspects of the business that are just beyond your comfort zone, which is the functional excellence that you have to provide. So I, I was always expanding myself into other areas, marketing, sales, and then finding reasons to provide help or offer help so I could learn more in other areas which were not my own. And it was clear for me in my career that that's what I wanted to be. After I felt that I had lived and experienced many of the great aspects of being a, a supply chain head, I, I felt that I needed to prove myself into a comfort and a discomfort zone, which is managing a, a business, managing a, being a general manager. And those were the choices I made in my career. Now, it takes, it's a big wall to jump. Clearly, you need to have people that know you more than what your CV says, and that flexibility in mind to understand what it takes to make heartfelt or gutfelt decisions and not just analytical driven decisions because the adaptability is very important 
and then just keep yourself exposed to areas that you are not necessarily an expert so you can learn from your colleagues and then from there onwards you know think that you could get there by being a ceo perhaps or finding you know steps back in your career that will will have to reset yourself in terms of titles and levels in my case i never had to do that but as well i was willing to step down if i needed to in order to you know keep expanding my scope rather than only feeling that i was having a great life in the supply chain space which is huge by nature by the way but the the way i value people is not just about the depth they have but also the breadth in their decision making skills and and i think that's that's what i would advise anyone to keep stretching all the time that's why you always should ask yourself what decision would i make if i were in that person's role and and that is a continuous learning process that i've been through mm and i, I want to double click a little bit if if i may and it's it's a little bit like you know also jobs is like you know when you're prepared to have a kid and you know you can read a lot about being a parent but you know the reality is that there's always going to be things that you didn't know and and nobody can prepare you on so i want to to see what were those things you know obviously babies are a different ball game but when you became uh ceo for for unilever for southeast asia and australasia right and when you became for doll what were some of those things that kind of maybe you know forced you to fast track your learning well first and foremost you need to always be authentic and declare openly that you are involved now in areas that you don't have major experience on don't pretend that you know everything be focused more on the quality of your questions rather than in giving answers all the time so in my early days and um, by the way i was destined to be um general manager for nestle in latin america and that's when a role came for me to be the chief supply chain officer of unilever so that was a very difficult decision for me because at that time already back in 2009 i was on my step to become a, a general manager and that would have been a major step down in my levels in the company because i wanted to invest for my future but then the supply chain officer role came and it was impossible to say no to such an, uh, an amazing adventure but when I, i was just thrown in as a general manager in southeast asia you need to be very honest and 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 authentic same as when i started as a chief supply chain officer of unilever and this was a multiple more complex job that i ever done in my life people know in a second whether you know what you're talking about and they know in a second whether you're being authentic and and honest uh, intellectually but also in in how you exercise your uh, your authority so accepting the fact that you don't have all the answers is the very first step for people's acceptability in your new role second is about being there to help and humble enough to you know put yourself really on the front lines very quickly to learn what the other professions are about so uh, whether it is uh, legal whether it is uh, you know taxes whether it is uh, some areas of finance treasury whether it is uh, obviously on sales so people admire and accept the fact that you are there to learn from them and then if you're honest about your background you will learn very fast now you have to have to ask yourself what kind of value am i adding to the organization in this new role that i have and how can i make a difference 
there was a time before me and there will be a time after me. So for those who are jumping into a, a complete new uncomfortable zone, you need to be clear about what is going to be the agenda that you would drive in order to make a difference. Stay true to yourself and then surround yourself with the best people that you can trust, not the ones that only say yes. And, and they will be happy, happy to make you learn fast and support you along the way. And that's, that's what I did. Excellent. Some, some real gems here. And, you know, in our work as executive search, and a lot of people ask us, you know, why, why not more chief supply chain officers to CEOs? And there's been studies, and I think there's, you know, there's obviously a couple of gems like Tim Cook, like Mary Barra, like there's, there's been a couple of, you know, obviously yourself, right? There's a couple of, of people that have stepped, but still there's not as many as we could, right? And, and when you look to your point, when you look at the depth of the profession in terms of understanding the business, being connected to all the different departments and the, you know, the actual getting of what's going on in the business, probably the supply chain professionals are, are the most connected. And however, there's certain things that uh, I, I had, a, we had a last summit and then the consistent thing that seemed to be missing is storytelling or the ability to tell a story in a way that can engage people better and can engage the CEO and can put, you know, the supply chain professional maybe to the forefront for the executive role. So I wanted to ask you, what's your view of what are some of these maybe soft skills that need to be honed in the profession to better or to have more CEOs coming from supply chain? Mm. No, that's a great question. So you you need depth to be credible, but too much depth will make you a specialist. And, and the question that you need to ask yourself is, where do I find the most pleasure in, in the way I exercise my profession? So, uh, and there is nothing wrong in being, uh, you know, the most respected person in the industry from a quality assurance point of view. You know, James Denning, Deming actually created a whole culture of total quality management and, and he changed the industry. So you can still be a specialist and, and enjoy depth and, and still be relevant in your job, right? But in order for you to be a general manager, which is what a CEO is, a general manager, now underscore general, you, you need to be comfortable in dealing with uncertainty. You need to be very flexible in the way in which you define alternative options and scenarios, have the ability to listen. And the most after adaptability trait that you need to display is judgment and how assertive you are in uh, understanding what's happening in the business. And, and that's a skill that you learn as you expose yourself to these kind of realities, yeah? Uh, we humans tend to jump immediately in or stay in our comfort zone, which is to, you know, to stay in the areas that we know. As we age, it's more difficult to learn. And that's, for me, learning and innovation is it's a sign of, uh, or it, it's, it's an investment for your longevity. So you need to keep yourself up to date Curiosity, adaptability, and assertiveness are elements which you certainly need to exercise. And these are muscles you develop over time. We are born as very curious beings and education, environment, sometimes parents without wanting to, they kill that curiosity. So we go quickly into our comfort zone. So I'm, I'm preaching a, a little bit of the obvious, but for those in my team that I will want to take my job one day, 
I, I don't have the preconceived idea that you need to be a good storyteller. Actually, that's quite dangerous. I don't want uh, to believe that uh, unless you're a good marketeer in my industry, you can be a CEO. That's, that's a dogma that has been demonstrated not to work all the time. For me, what matters the most is how you exercise your leadership. How do you build traction in your organization? The charisma that comes with authenticity and the, the soft skills of caring for people as you understand your environment and adapt very quickly and also make decisions which are driven often by your listening skills, but also by your instinct. And that's what makes you a general manager at the end of the day. Now, these are soft skills you cannot write on a CV. And that's why networking, it's, it's absolutely essential. So you need to invest time in forums, in relationships, in building your black book of people that you know and the people that know you, because these opportunities will come out of those that know who you really are, which is not something you can put on paper. And that's when you get, you're given the chance and the trust to run a PL, which brings uh, huge risks. But, you know, at the end, like, like trusted relationships between humans, you, you can always make mistakes. But if you're balanced and assertive, you can minimize them. So invest in your network and move yourself out of the comfort zone because those are the two key investments you need to make in your own career if you mm -hmm. want to go there, yeah? And we have, uh, you know, we have a younger listener and I'll put, put her question, Erna. I think she's just starting her career. And, and I guess, you know, that's, that's her question. But maybe I would frame it in a way of what, what are some of the gems, right? If you were, and you've shared already a lot, right? But the, the young people that are just starting in supply chain and the supply chain right now is, well, it's a lot more dynamic, technology-driven, industry 4.0 driven than, you know, it was maybe 20 years ago. The principles probably are the same are, and are the same. But what would be some pieces of advice if you may share to this younger generation period? First of all, you need to ask yourself, what, what is what I like about it? As I said before, supply chain is a no-thank-you job. When things go well, it would be the merit of someone else. When things go back, you get exposed, and then you are the, the reason why things do not happen in the business. So like some professions and others are much tougher than a supply chain manager, you, you need to be driven by your passion for what you do. And that's not just in supply chain, but everywhere. So to the person that asked the question, I would say, ask yourself, what is what I feel attracted about a supply chain profession? Is it building things? Is it about the uh, technology that is behind? Is it because I, I like to see the bigger picture of, uh, of a system in terms of how it operates? We're often carried by circumstances in our lives. Your parents tell you, I think it's better if you study engineering because there are many jobs out there that will be most likely available when you graduate. And I'm not joking. This is, this is the kind of culture I was raised with. So I think you need to own your own destiny and then you know, feel that, that there is something inside yourself that takes you out of bed that allows you to or enables you to love the smell of the oil and the machinery if you're in a manufacturing environment that is very tough by the way or if you are in a, in a warehouse or you are in an office doing demand and supply planning or dealing with procurement activities so 
it's, it's sincerely as simple as that. There is no secret because what applies to supply chain applies in finance and the rest. Now, you certainly need to have depth and breadth. You cannot just be intuitive in, in, in a supply chain role. You need to have a, a, a good component of analytical skills, problem-solving skills, and those are essentially my view because a supply chain professional is a problem solver or someone that predicts problems and avoids them. And, and I think you, you need to ask yourself, do I have those elements in my fabric that I can really explode or uh, you know, exercise more? Yeah? yeah, It's a bit of a generic answer, but that's... I remember I was, I was a little boy in Caracas in Venezuela when I visited a juice factory. And I still remember the bricks being produced on the line. So I love the complexity of all these industrial systems and how they they were all combined and producing this huge amount of volumes in products that I loved at the time. So for me, transforming things, converting things is the reason why I went for, for my profession. I became an industrial engineer because I, I, I love the notion of creating and transforming things. Mm. So... That that's that's how my profession originated, yeah. And and I want to I want to also ask you, Pierluigi, because it's quite different environments. Let's just compare. Okay, Nestle, Unilever, huge, you know, MNCs. Doll is is also huge. It's also global, but it's a, it's a different flavor, right? So I guess I would want also to maybe to go into the element of cultures and shaping culture as a leader and and the differences in between the organization. Maybe you can share a little bit your thoughts on that. Yeah, so first of all, Doll is just a fraction of, of the companies you mentioned. And I say that uh, with love for my company because at my stage in my career, size wasn't that beautiful anymore. I was looking for an environment that would give me freedom to learn, to make mistakes, to play a sandbox that would allow me to experiment and just to try out things and surround myself with uh, great people that felt that life in big corporate environments was enough. And we wanted just to be insurgents uh, with scale. I mean, it still is a 2.5 billion business, but nothing of the sizes of uh, uh, Unilever and, and Nestle. So uh, it gets to a point in your life where you value more how much you can expand the role that you inherit rather than the size of the role itself. That comes with the, the integration of your previous you know, steps in your career. So being in, a, in an environment that, that like Dole, where you have a global supply chain that is truly sourcing uh, raw materials from all over the world was, a, was an exciting part for me. But most, more, more exciting or as exciting as that was the notion of reviving a brand that has been, as you said in, in your kind introduction, has been in the market for uh, over a century and uh, was you know, fading away, declining slowly but surely, losing relevance in modern times. So how can you bring back the, the image of a brand like Dole, which needs to be transformed again, re-energized, and uh, make attractive to young consumers, not just only the grandmas who are now using our pineapples in Thanksgiving? which, of course, is, is fantastic, but not what excites me at the end of the day. So we are transforming this company into a nutrition and wellness company that wants to be relevant in the space of health, 
in new categories that we're now investing on. And, and I, I felt that was, that was a, a much more exciting role than, you know, than being ahead of another region in a, in a big multinational, yeah? So although you, you tend to, to build arrogance in your life when you are in these fantastic big companies, and I'm very proud and, and I have fond memories of both Nestle and Unilever, I think they are phenomenal companies. That, that size often puts you in a blind spot and it makes you arrogant. I think that for me, the change was putting me in the, in the reality where I felt I needed to create something new, was transforming you know, a great business that uh, was on a declining mode. My, my personal purpose in life is built to last. And I felt that we had a, a, a great business that wrote history in consumer goods that was not actually building itself for a future. And, and, and where now we are finding ourselves growing again, and it's, a, it's just a very energizing story, which is only the early days of a great transformation and the best yet has to come. Yeah, so, so for me, we all need to ask ourselves, am I doing something that is really what takes me out of bed every day? Even if I were not to be paid in the job, will I still do it? And what is my personal purpose that is consistent, compatible with what the company wants to achieve? And if you find that alignment and that great chemistry, you're going to do your very best. And that's when the results will come. No, that's that's um, very well said. And I want to, we, we, we're having a lot more questions, but I will take you offline in the interest of time. I want just to share this this comment that, that, that came in and, uh, and pretty much goes around. Summarize the book on leadership in five minutes. Thank you, Pierluigi. So uh, some great, uh, great gems, and and I really want to salute your authenticity and your your candor and your honesty, Pierluigi. And obviously, you've seen a lot in in your career, and uh, and I think this has been extremely helpful for all sorts of uh, you know levels. And we we often see, and you know, as as headhunters, we see people that at different levels. And there's a big, obviously, you, you spoke about maybe these big machines and and these big corporates that serve a, a very good purpose. But at the same time, uh, at some point, people want something else. And a lot of a lot of them I've seen are a bit afraid, not a bit, are a lot afraid because, you know, you feel like, oh, I don't want to let go of, you know, my status and my whatnot and step into the, you know, risky, murky and, and, and whatnot. And then you see people that are maybe in companies for another three, five, ten years, and they're not really, like you said, they don't have the fire in the bell anymore. They don't necessarily, you know, go and, and at it, but they're kind of, you know, back to the comfort zone, if you if you so wish. Yeah. So it's very inspiring what you shared, because I think all of us should strive Absolutely. to be a little bit more adventurous. <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up for a lot of time in my career thinking that bigger and bigger was uh, was better and better. So bigger company, bigger roles, bigger organization. You know, in Unilever, I had an, a team of 110,000 people. And, and that was like, wow. So just, just the notion of being the head of such a huge team gave you a sense of pride. But it gets to a point where your, your learning curve, your intellect, your capacity to, to reinvent yourself becomes very limited. And that's what you need to watch all the time. Are you too much in your comfort zone? And if that's the case, you might be starting to decline without you knowing so. So for me, size is not any longer 
necessarily relevant. What is relevant is the impact that I can create in the company and in the business and in the world. And and business, I meant the industry. And and I think that that comes with entrepreneurialism. It comes with uh, innovation. It comes with that sense of ownership of your own company. That that is the reason why you have so many people, bright students coming out of the Ivy League in North America, going straight into startups because they want to have that freedom of of invention and uh, and and I think that's that's in my view what's relevant. Of course, you want status, you want salary, you want standards of living, which come with bigger jobs. And and I don't regret every single step that I've taken in my life, but. I think that I still have another 20 years to go where I will feel much more fulfilled if I can can help many people just to to do something that can make leave a legacy in this world than than just having a great title on my business card. Of course I can say that because I lived that reality. But I, I am convinced that uh, bringing back a, a brand and a company to, to again to the relevant minds of great consumers is it's an amazing challenge. So the challenge itself can, can be as big as your ambitions are. So you don't have to limit yourself. If the system around you is limiting you, then then you have to change. Now for me, the, you as an executive search firm, and to all the friends that are joining this call, I would say there are three big elements that I would really value when I when I assess whether I can have members in my team. First is ambition, because we all need to have great dreams and we should not fall shy in saying, I want to be a CEO of a multinational one day. So having dreams and ambition is no sin. And, and we should state them clear and loud. With the conviction though, which is the number two of being humble and, and displaying humility, which means understanding what are your limits? What are your development needs? I don't call them weaknesses. I, I call them development needs. So you can stay ground, grounded as you keep looking at the sky, saying, that's where I want to go, but also knowing that I'm here and I need to invest in myself if I want to get there. So humility is, uh, is an important essence that I assess. And then the last one is self-confidence, because you can be very humble, but if you don't believe in yourself, you're only going to be a following a follower in uh, in your life. So that self-belief, that confidence that will allow you to just take bets on yourself as you remain humble and you keep aspiring for more in life, it's the great cocktail of, of leadership that has worked for me. And even though it's been 29, I don't know how many years now, 30 years, I still apply them every single day. And I still measure those in every person in my team. I hate arrogance. Too much self-confidence leads to arrogance. Too much humility leads to, you know, lack of, you know, followership. And I think too much uh, ambition makes you greedy as well. So it is the balance of the three and the sweet spot of those that will make you an exceptional person. And, And that is something that you can cultivate in your life every single day. So... I don't know how much that helps, but hopefully that that will be a good message you can take with you after this call. No, absolutely. I I can, uh, you know, you'll see the comments at the end of this. So it definitely helped. And and I must personally say that this has been an incredible sharing session, Pierluigi. So personally, I want to thank you for for your authenticity and your your openness. And also the the, the way that that, I think... 
you know, just the, the message that you portray is very simple. And, and obviously it comes from many, many, many years of experience and you've lived a career that maybe many dream of. But at the same time, the, the, the simplicity in it, which uh, I guess we as humans also, have, we have a nature of, you know, if it's simple, it can't be the right thing. It has to be a little bit more complex. We are looking for that silver bullet that will, I mean, I know I have been uh, for a while that, that will shortcut everything. You know, there's got to be something that, you know, is going to, is going to give it. But in reality, it's principles day in, day out, exercising these muscles and, and putting the work. And uh, I think some, some brilliant pieces of advice from you. So I want to thank you with that. It's been a pleasure having you. Stay healthy, keep inspiring and, and keep uh, having a great journey at all. Absolutely. Yeah. And don't forget that being simple is not the same as being simplistic. So there is a big difference uh, on the two. And uh, some companies have built great brands by being simple. But it requires a lot of depth at the end of the day. So thanks again. It's been a, a great session. It allowed me to go back to my, my past and also project the future. So I loved it. So all the best and, uh, and good luck to those attending this call. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcotglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help.